Welcome to the final Funds Fan Podcast of 2020. I'm Kyle Caldwell, Collectives Editor at Interactive Investor. Coming up on the podcast, we have an interview with professional investor Jonathan Davis, who is editor of the annual Investment Trust's Handbook. While at the end of the podcast, I'll be joined by Interactive Investor's Head of Funds Research, Dmitry Lipsky, who is going to run through one of the recent new additions to Interactive Investor's list of ethical investments, the ACE 40. But first, I'm joined by Tom Bailey, ETF's editor at Interactive Investor, to discuss a couple of news items. As it is the last podcast of the year, I thought I would firstly reveal the best funds and investment trusts of 2020. We will be writing about both the winners and losers in the coming days and weeks, but I wanted to give our podcast listeners a sneak preview. In terms of the fund's winners, the top five from the start of the year to the 9th of December, according to data provider FE Analytics, are Bailey Gifford American, which is up 119%, Morgan Stanley US Growth, which is up 118%, Bailey Gifford Long-Term Growth Global Investment, up 93%, Bailey Gifford Positive Change, up 81%, and Morgan Stanley US Advantage, which is up 72%. So it's clearly been a very good year for Bailey Gifford, and this is also evident in the best investment trust performers of 2020. The top five are Bailey Gifford Pacific Horizon, which is up 130%, Bailey Gifford US Growth, which is up 114%, Scottish Mortgage, up 96%, JP Morgan China Growth and Income, up 83%, and Allianz Technology Trust, which is up 75%. As mentioned, we'll be publishing written articles on these top performers in due course, in which we'll take a look in more depth regarding what has driven those funds and trusts to the top of the performance charts in 2020. Sticking with Bailey Giffords, the Scottish fund management firm has, subject to shareholder approval, secured another investment trust. Tom, could you run through the details? Yeah, so the board of Keystone Investment Trust has decided to dump the current manager from Investor, Invesco, and instead give the trust mandate to Bailey Gifford. Uh, in particular, they want the trust to be run in line with Bailey Gifford's positive change investment strategy. So to do this, they're trying to recruit the two managers of Bailey Gifford's positive change fund to take over the mandate. It is, of course, still subject to shareholder approval. Uh, however, Bailey Gifford has won several trust mandates in recent months. In September, the company took over Witten Pacific, and last October, it took over European Investment Trust from Edinburgh Partners, renaming it Bailey Gifford European Growth Trust. Meanwhile, Invesco has lost several mandates uh, recently, including the Edinburgh Investment Trust, which was awarded to Majidi, and the Perpetual Income and Growth Trust, which last month merged with Murray Income Trust. Also in the news is the annual fund management poll from the Investment Trust Trade Body, the Association of Investment Companies. The poll puts a range of questions to investment trust managers, including asking them to name what areas they think will be best placed to reward investors next year. So, Tom, where are the investment trust managers spotting value opportunities? In terms of regions, generally, the managers surveyed were most bullish on uh, emerging markets, the UK, and unsurprisingly, the US. So just under a quarter of those surveys said they were most positive on emerging markets, uh, which are broadly seen as quite cheap right now. Uh, just under 20% favoured the UK, which also seen as quite cheap. But still 14% favoured the US, uh, which obviously has, has outperformed the last 10 years. So still a number of fund managers who still think that's going to continue, it seems. 
when it comes to equity market sectors, healthcare equipment and services are cited as most likely to outperform uh, next year. However, uh, the travel and leisure sector, which is obviously taking a big hit from COVID, is expected to bounce back strongly over the next five years after obviously such a disastrous 2020, according to those surveyed. Generally, managers were highly optimistic for an economic recovery next year as vaccines rolled out. Uh, so 67% of those surveyed said they expect global stock markets to rise in 2021 and only 10% predicted a fall. Well, my funds, uh, Junior ISA, is invested in an emerging market fund and has not done particularly well since I bought it uh, just over two and a half years ago. So um, hopefully the investment trust managers are correct and in the 2021 will be a better year for emerging market assets generally. For the next part of the podcast, I'm joined by Jonathan Davis, editor of the annual Investment Trust Handbook. Jonathan began his career as a journalist on The Times, Sunday Telegraph and The Independent before qualifying as a professional investor. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Kyle. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to say that I've been uh, using the interactive website since 1995 when the uh, site actually launched and who would have thought it, uh, it, would, it would have reached the size and uh, scale it is today? So it's a great pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on. So firstly, could you pick out a couple of highlights from the newest edition of the Investment Trust Handbook for 2021? You have some great contributors, as always. This year, um, you have Capital Gearing's Peter Spiller. He was actually a guest on our podcast in early December. Yes, I heard that, actually. Peter was... Um... Uh, one of the contributors this year to the Professional Investor Forum, which is one of the regular features in the handbook, uh, when we ask five of my uh, best professional investment trust contacts to answer a range of questions about the year just gone and, uh, boy, what a year it's been, uh, and the year ahead. And we also have um, a number of great in-depth interviews with other fund managers who uh, I'm sure many of your listeners will know, Harry Nimmo, for example, Standard Life, Smaller Companies, Walter Price, Allianz Technology, Sam Moore's Fidelity, Paul Major, BB Healthcare, and so on. All of them very fascinating. And um, we try to get a little bit behind the kind of headlines to, to talk about personality as well as uh, their ideas. Uh, but I would, I guess if I picked out one, I would pick out the uh, interview with Charles Plowden, who uh, is the senior partner of Bailey Gifford, as well as manager of the Monks Investment Trust. And he's been particularly interesting talking about the... Um, the reasons for you know Bailey Gifford's spectacular recent success, uh, as you know, they manage um, I think something like six of the top fifteen performing trusts this year. It's been quite remarkable. I can't remember anything quite like that. And then, of course, there's lots more in the handbook. I'm I'm happy to say um, more than twenty five different contributors, uh, reviews of the year, pieces about topical issues such as value growth, value versus growth, using reserves to pay dividends, VCTs, and so on, and. Um, 50 pages of interesting data and statistics if you're into numbers and some practical advice on how to analyse a particular trust you're interested in. So uh, hopefully something for everybody. It certainly sounds it. So I, mean, I hope you don't mind me pointing this out, but um, you've been analysing and writing about financial markets now for more than 30 years. I was wondering if you could put your finger on when it was that you first spotted that investment trusts are potentially a superior option to open-ended funds. Well, that's a that's a good question, Kyle. Uh, I think the answer, the honest answer to that is, uh, it was actually about thirty years ago, uh, and I went to see uh, a gentleman called Ian Rushbrook, who uh, was a well-known fund manager and the, and the guy who started Personal Assets in its present form. Uh, he lived in Edinburgh as a well-known uh, uh, professional investment trust uh, 
manager there. Um, and I went to see him and he just, he, he really got me, got talking about investment trusts and he explained it all to me, um, why they work and so on. And later on, I, I wrote a profile of him in a book I wrote, uh, also called Moneymakers. And uh, uh, from there on, I kind of began to investigate it. And uh, the more I looked into it, the more I liked what I saw. So um, it's been a long journey, but, uh, you know, the more I learn about investment trusts uh, and the more I invest in them myself, uh, the more happy I become with them as the uh, what I like to call the connoisseur's choice when it comes to picking an investment fund. And three of those structural advantages that investment trusts have over open-ended funds are the fixed pool of assets, the ability to gear, and the ability to hold back some dividend income for a rainy day. Of those three, which would you say is the most advantageous for private investors? Well, that's an important question. Uh, and I would say certainly for income investors, the ability that uh, trusts have to use their reserves to sustain their dividends is obviously important in helping to weather you know, temporary market upsets uh, like the one we saw this year because of the pandemic uh, back in February, March, when, uh, as you know, the, uh, the market fell by uh, 30% in 30 days. But having said that, um, my view is that for most investors, it's actually the the idea that investment trusts have permanent capital, or should we say semi-permanent capital. And that gives them the freedom to managers of investment trusts to, to know they won't have to buy and sell holdings purely because of inflows and outflows into their funds, as open-ended fund managers have to do. And I think from uh, my experience, that's the biggest factor in helping to explain why investment trusts do produce generally superior performance over time. I mean, gearing can be helpful too, particularly in specialist sectors uh, such as property. But in general, I think it's a bigger advantage in theory than it is in, in practice. Fund managers find it almost as hard as everyone else to know when to increase gearing and when to cut gearing. The idea being, if you do that, you obviously can enhance your returns on both upside and downside. But it's actually a form of market timing after all, and uh, they're no better at it than we are. So I would say it's the, it's, it's the, it's the semi-permanent capital. I'm moving on to... 2020. Obviously, in the first quarter of the year, there was the uh, notable stock market correction as COVID-19 concerns really started to, um, well, to be, become more of a concern for the market. But overall, even factoring, factoring in that sell-off, um, investment companies um, have performed very well indeed, actually. Figures from the Association of Investment Companies show that year to date, to the end of November, the average global trust is up 36%. How would you assess the overall year for investment trust performance? Well, I think overall, there's no doubt it's been a, it's been a good year for investment trusts. I think they've proved their worth this year. Um, and it's and it's true, as you say, that uh, investment trusts generally have performed very well. And if you'd, uh, if you'd had the performance uh, we've had and you told people at the start of the year we were going to have a very nasty pandemic, global pandemic, and they could still make money this year. They think they would have they would have taken it. I mean, the uh, the index that uh, monitors investment trust performance this year is up fourteen percent. So that's the average across the whole the whole sector. Uh, while the FTSE All Share has been down ten percent over the same period. So you're absolutely right. Global has been the place to be, uh, but the performance has been very polarized. You know, been a lot of spectacular performers over the year as a whole. I mean, there are three investment trusts, three big investment trusts, which are up more than uh, 100% in share price terms this year, but also a fair number of disappointments too, obviously in the sector's worst hit by the pandemic. You know, we're talking about the uh, the property sector uh, in particular, and some of the debt funds and so on have done badly. 
Um, so this really has been the year when you wanted to be in global rather than UK-focused trusts and with a distinct bias towards growth as a style rather than uh, than value. But overall, I think, uh, you know, the message in investment trusts are a good place for the patient long-term investor, which is what I think in investors in investment trusts should be. Uh, that message has come through very strongly this year. And finally, um, looking ahead to 2021, do you have any predictions regarding themes or trends that uh, may play out in the investment trust world? Well, I've got some predictions that almost certainly will prove to be wrong because most predictions at the start of the year or ahead of a new year are wrong, But uh, and I'm no exception to that. But I think it's obvious that we're going to see some of the trends that we've seen in the latter part of this year will continue. We'll hope to see some more IPOs. I think it's very interesting that we've seen uh, uh, you know, a number of, uh, a couple of trusts which are in, interested in ESG and social impact investing. I think that's very much uh, going to be popular again this year, and hopefully there'll be some more trusts in that field. I think the investment trust sector has not got as big a showing in the ESG world as uh, as it should have, and I'm sure that will be an area of focus for many managers. So more supply, I'm sure. With, will discounts manage to stay at their current narrow levels? I think that's the big unknown for the, for the coming year. I wouldn't be surprised to see them widen a little bit this year because they are very, very high by historical standards at the moment. I mean, very narrow, I should say, by historical standards at the moment, you know, around 3 4%. On average, that's um, that's that's pretty narrow by historical standards. So we may see some widening of discounts, but I think it'll be temporary. Uh, and I think we'll have to hope that this is the year when the UK market uh, makes a bit of a comeback. We've seen little signs of that in the last few days. If we get through the endless Brexit impasse, uh, then I think we will see more demand for UK-focused trust. And I very much hope so, because they've been under the cosh most of this last uh, yeah, in fact, most of the last four years. And I think it's probably time that they had their day in the sun. Obviously, lots of problems ahead because of Brexit and the pandemic. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see some recovery in uh, UK investment trusts generally. And uh, in particular, in um, that there will be some sort of revival in value as opposed to growth, I think, at the margin. I totally agree with all those points, and particularly on um, ESG. I do think that is underrepresented in the investment trust world at the moment. I also think it'll be interesting to see next year whether if the dividend drought continues, whether investment trust boards continue to maintain or increase dividends, particularly those um, dividend heroes, will they continue dipping into reserves to um, to pay those dividends? Have you got any thoughts on that? Yes, I have. I mean, I think we've lost, uh, we've lost, I think, three or four members of the dividend heroes list this year they've they've succumbed if you like to the pandemic and not been able to sustain their record of uh, growing dividends every year but it's obviously very been very important from a marketing point of view for investment trusts that they uh, that they continue to pay their, their dividends if they can maintain that record and obviously boards are going to have been leaning over backwards to make sure that they can do that if we have another tough year for dividend income uh, that's dividends coming into the investment trust themselves then I think we'll find more more trusts that actually aren't able to repeat the trick this year. It'll be, I mean, quite a few will. Uh, they'll be able to go on using revenue reserves again, and some indeed will dip into capital as well. So important will they think it to maintain their uh, their record on the dividend front. But uh, yes, I think if we have trouble on the dividends again this year, then I think we will we will lose one or two more. But most most investment trusts that uh, focus on their income generating capacity. Uh, and in particular, those in the alternative asset sector will continue to uh, will continue to pay out a, a decent yield in the year ahead. I'm sure. 
Well, thank you for your thoughts, Jonathan, and thanks for coming on the podcast. The latest edition of the Investment Trust Handbook for 2021 is on sale now, if I'm correct in saying that. It is on sale now, yes. The uh, the hardbacks may take a bit of time to deliver to people, but there is a, because of the postal issues and so on around Christmas, but there is a, an ebook version as well you can download. Uh, and I very much hope that uh, your listeners will. It's uh, it's such a great subject, investment trusts. I've uh, I've loved uh, learning about them over the last uh, thirty years, as you uh, politely pointed out. And I think that uh, you know we've seen a big trend of more private investors, in particular, coming to appreciate the virtues of investment trusts. They're becoming a bigger part of share registers and investment trusts. So, um, yeah, I very much hope they will uh, find the handbook and uh, hopefully benefit from it. Well, great. I'm sure uh, many listeners of this podcast will be reading the 21 edition. Thanks again, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. For the final part of the podcast, I'm joined by Dmitry Lipsky, Head of Fund Research at Interactive Investor, to run through one of Interactive Investor's rated investments. Dmitry, what have you chosen for this episode and what does it invest in? I've chosen Royal London Sustainable Leaders Trust. This is a fund and it's a member of Interactive Investor A Sporty List. And we recommend it as a UK equity core recommendation for our clients. The fund aims to provide capital growth from a diversified portfolio of equities, mainly in the UK and in any economic sector. Investments will be limited to companies uh, which are likely to benefit from measures taken to improve the environment, human welfare and quality of life. Managed by highly experienced investor Mike Fox, who is a head of sustainable investments at Royal London, and he has managed the fund since its launch in 2003. The manager and his team combine both negative and positive screening as a part of their process and will not invest in companies that derive more than 10% of their revenue from the likes of military applications, animal fair products and gambling. The fund has relatively concentrated portfolio of 40 stocks at sector level, the largest allocations to industrials, financials, healthcare and technology, and among its top holdings are London Stock Exchange, AstraZeneca and Experian. In your view, what makes this fund special? As we know, the, the sustainable investing sector is one which has grown in size and importance in the last years, partly because of the broader climate change debate, but also because evidence points to companies uh, which adhere more closely to environmental, social and governance considerations, producing better long-term returns. The team behind the, this fund is very committed to ESG investing and they have consistently outperformed the market and other funds in the sector over both short term and longer term with lower risk despite relatively limited pool of stocks they have at their disposal. And finally, what sort of investors will this fund particularly suit? The Royal London Sustainable Leaders Trust is a compelling offering run by the Royal London Sustainable Investment Team of experts, and it should appeal for someone who is looking for active core UK equity exposure with ethical overlay. Thank you, Dimitri, and thank you to our guest on the podcast, Jonathan Davis, who is editor of the annual Investment Trust Handbook, and also thank you to my colleague, Tom Bailey, ETF's editor. This is the final podcast of 2020, so I'd like to wish listeners a very happy Christmas and a healthy and prosperous new year.